If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. You're going to make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. In today's podcast, we're speaking to BBC Radio Documentaries producer Lawrence Grissel about his recent BBC Radio 4 series, The Californian Century, which explores how the American state shaped the world throughout the 20th century. Our World Histories editor, Matt Elton, caught up with Lawrence to find out more. What inspired this series on the history of California? Well, I went to an exhibition at the Design Museum in Helsinki, um, and I think it was a touring exhibition, and it was um, looking at the connection between the counterculture uh, in California and Silicon Valley. Um, uh, I thought this was really interesting um, to, A, make that link um, between the counterculture and the kind of development of, of Silicon Valley. But I thought, actually, maybe there's a bigger story here which connects more of the dots in um, in uh, through kind of 20th century California. Um, and then I sort of started thinking about the kind of, um, you know, the fact that the state had given birth to both Hollywood and to Silicon Valley. And I was interesting, I suppose, at looking at what the kind of deep forces, the deep dynamics were that uh, gave rise to these two industries that have just completely transformed the world. So in a sense, it was 
was out of that kind of exhibition that this interest grew in um, in in looking at you know how uh, how California came to be this unique place. And in 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 what sort of period can we trace the roots um, of the origins of these two uh, industries? Well, I mean, I suppose, I mean, in a way, our brief within the series is to look at the last century. Um, but actually, you can't ignore the gold rush um, uh, from the, the mid-19th century, because in a sense, in a sense, that's where it all starts, because that, in a sense, creates so much of the wealth that makes so much else possible later on. Um, and I suppose, in a sense, that's uh, an interesting way of looking at California is a sort of accumulation of capital that takes place through the last 100, 150 years. So it starts with the gold rush. Then we get the, uh, uh, the, uh, the advent of Hollywood. At around the same time, we get the oil boom. So again, this accumulation of wealth continues, continues. Then we go into the Second World War, a form, a, a, a further accumulation of wealth, because of course, California, um, produces so many of the aircraft, so many of the ships, so many of the armaments that are used to um, fight the Second World War. 10% of the whole US war budget is spent in California. So again, the Second World War, a further accumulation of wealth. And then coming, you know, right up to the present day, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the uh, development of Silicon Valley. So in a sense, you can sort of see it as these kind of, you know, sedimentary layers of of of, of wealth, um, which I, I think, you know, notwithstanding, obviously, all the creativity and the ingenuity, but I think that, you know, it's this accumulation of wealth that makes so much possible in the state. Mm. And as the state grew wealthier, so it attracted more and more people who wanted to become wealthy. Um, something the first episode of the series does really nicely is kind of sketch out how um, people were drawn to this kind of almost frontier territory to start new lives or escape their old ones, I suppose. Yes, I think there's a sense of the, you know, the blank slate of starting, you know, starting afresh. And as, uh, you know, Jerry Brown, the longest serving governor of California, who I was lucky enough to interview, you know, says, I suppose, you know, we, we do have to remember that these people were arriving in uh, in the US on the West Coast, really having no idea what awaited them, um, and I think you know we have to remind ourselves today that that, that they just didn't they didn't have a clue that it was it was the great unknown. Um, so so what they came to was a I mean it was a blank slate, and you know as contributors say, you know the landscape was you know, exploited, shaped, refashioned, um, you know, and sort of turned into, turned into gold, you know, sometimes in a kind of, you know, literal way, others, uh, you know, other times in a sort of metaphorical way. Um, and what goes hand in hand with that is, is of course, a, um, I suppose, I suppose an open-mindedness and an openness anyway to, um, you know, different ways of, you know, of living, um, a, 
a kind of, uh, and certainly if one's looking in terms of religious freedom uh, for those who were, you know, migrating from other parts of the United States later on in the period, there's, uh, you know, there's an openness there to, you know, different ways of of of, of uh, different forms of, of religion. Um, and uh, as we uh, explore in a number of episodes, uh, you know, that also is mirrored in particularly in San Francisco, um, that you you know that there is an openness to different ways of living, which perhaps doesn't, um, which isn't uh, manifest in uh, on the east coast of the United States or indeed in in the old world. There was, um, of course, uh, a slightly darker side to this sort of openness, this liberty. Um, to what extent were you keen in the series to explore some of the more negative sides in? terms of the experiences of indigenous people or in terms of other groups of people in the series we have been keen to um explore the um widespread racism um that you can see through much of the you know the history of california of course that racism is is in no way unique to california it's not unique to the united states um uh but um i thought you couldn't tell this story um without uh looking at that in some detail and so we do spend a lot of time in the program um talking about African-Americans, uh, talking about Mexican-Americans, and trying to kind of represent their experience. Because um, I think the temptation when one looks at California is to emphasize the, the big success story. Um, and obviously there is a big success story to tell. Um, but I think, you know, this is um, a state which is very well practiced at mythologizing itself. And I suppose what I wanted to try to do in the series was to counter some of that, to, to balance that with, um, you know, the fact that many of those people who were building the state um, quite literally um, laying the railroads, building the roads, um, uh, you know, farming the, the you know the fields were um, treated very badly from the early beginnings of filmmaking in Hollywood. I mean, that in a sense was a um, a kind of a, a way of transmitting to the rest of the United States what California represented. And so, because, you know, so many films were shot there, it was great advertising for the state. Um, and so I think the idea of image um, and portraying an image of California um, as this place of opportunity um, really is there from you know the very you know the very beginning something else interests me is the idea that people moved to California and experienced racism they experienced prejudice and inequality but it was still better than what they'd experienced before they moved well certainly that was what one of my interviewees said was you know particularly for 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 those people who were coming from the south um uh then you know even though california was deeply segregated and even though african americans and mexican americans were 
treated extremely badly. Um, that you know, the, the, there were opportunities there that were not present, say, for instance, in the southern part of the United States. Uh, and that was certainly what one of our African-American contributors said to us. Um, what other people did you speak to in the course of making this series? And did any of those stand out particularly? Well, I mean, I was, I suppose the most, um, one of the uh, interesting conversations for me was uh, my interview with Jerry Brown, who was the longest serving governor of California, who served both in the 1970s and then again in the 2010s. He took over from Ronald Reagan in, in the mid 70s. And then he took over from Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor in the 2010s. And, um, uh, what I found most interesting about that interview um, was that, you know, Jerry Brown is not afraid to question the kind of orthodoxies. And in a sense, you know, California is built on a on this sort of assumption, like much, much of the kind of capitalist world, on the assumption of, of continual economic growth. What Jerry Brown was saying was that going forward and looking into the next century, he was asking, is it actually possible that we can continue to grow as we have done? That's both in terms of population growth, but in terms of economic growth. Um, and he was saying that the next hundred years would be one of limits. And in a sense, I suppose the last um, 100 years of Californian history has been about, you know, um, unlimited growth, unfettered growth. Um, and he's saying we can't keep on growing forever. We have to accept that there are limits, you know, and particularly in the environmental context, that the environment, um, you know, particularly in the environmental context, if you think about the mid-19th century, um, then California was all about exploiting its its uh, its environment, and and it and it's created vast wealth from doing so. You know, throwing sort of throwing cyanide into the into the water to to to, to yield up the you know the gold, as one of our contributors put it. Um, and you know, his view, Jerry Brown's view, is that you know times, you know times have changed, and we and and the, the next hundred years cannot be um, about that kind of exploitation, and that uh, California has to uh, ha California has to limit its growth. I mean, I had no idea, for instance, the extent to which figures such as William Mulholland reshaped the entire landscape of the area to make this kind of wealth possible. Um, how does the series explore his story? Yeah, well, Mulholland's an interesting one who I'd never heard of. And, and, and I should um, give all credit to Dr Ian Scott of Manchester University, who was my trusted academic consultant for this series. And um, it was Ian's idea to use uh, to to tell the story of, of William Mulholland, um, of course I I knew the name from you know Mulholland Drive as everyone does, but I didn't really know who he was. And so um, uh, you know, I mean, the interesting thing about Mulholland is that you know without him there would be no Los Angeles um, because Los Angeles could only grow if it had 
more water. I mean, it was uh, basically a desert. Um, and the only way that uh, it was going to be able to grow was, you know, if it got some water from somewhere. And the answer to that was uh, in the Owens Valley, um, which was, uh, you know, uh, which had a, a river which was fed by the mountains of the Sierra Nevada. Um, and the, the plan was basically to uh, divert that river um, and build an aqueduct for 200 miles, which would take um, the water down to Los Angeles. Um, and so they embarked on what I believe was the biggest, uh, um, the longest aqueduct um, that had been built up to that point. Um, and uh, and diverted you know that water down to Los Angeles, which enabled Los Angeles to grow. Of course, there were casualties in that, um, with, and the, the, the casualties were the farmers of the Owens Valley, who had essentially been conned out of selling their land. Um, and of course, their land, once the water was diverted, turned to dust. Um, and uh, it was Mulholland who engineered, who did the engineering uh, on all of that uh, and really made all of that possible. Uh, you know, an ingenious, um, you know, figure um, uh, and one who ultimately um, would, um, and ultimately, uh, you know, a man whose reputation would suffer when... Um, uh, the St. Francis Dam, which had also built, collapsed, um, which had catastrophic consequences, as you can imagine. Um, and um, Mulholland's reputation was really destroyed, you know, by that, having had this kind of glittering career. The story of that dam uh, breaking is told uh, really dramatically in the series. To what, um, at what point did you decide the approach you were going to take in the series? And how did you in- get uh, Stanley Tucci involved? Well, from the start, I wanted to, um, I thought a good way to tell this story would be through film scripts. Um, uh, Because California, Hollywood is, you know, synonymous, obviously, with, you know, telling, with telling stories. Um, And most of us, frankly, are familiar with California through movies and so it seemed like a kind of neat way of bringing this story to life um and so um uh i when i pitched it this was my idea that we try and tell it through film scripts and i wasn't quite sure how i was going to achieve that so over the summer i sort of you know sat down with my laptop and i suppose tried to tried to find a voice for the program um and i mean hopefully i found it that's for listeners to decide um but um you know if you if you listen to it you'll you'll hear that each program is framed in terms of an individual character and kind of key moments in that character's story are evoked through these kind of imagined film scripts some of which are kind of loosely based on um sort of movies like uh, sunset boulevard chinatown you know the sorts of stories which uh, you know through which we we sort of know california and uh, how about stanley's involvement well i was obviously looking for somebody who will because the scripts are written 
loosely speaking, in a kind of film noir style. Um, I really wanted somebody who I felt could carry that. And um, uh, and Stanley seemed like, a you know, uh, the perfect choice. Um, and I wasn't, you know, sure if he would say yes. I mean, the, as far as I know, he's never done any Radio 4 before. Whether he's done any other radio, I, I don't know. Certainly not that I know of. Um, and I suppose I also wanted somebody who had, you know, who was sort of associated with, with Hollywood, which obviously Stanley is, having appeared in, in so many, you know, fantastic movies. Um, and um, so I sent some of the scripts, some of the drafts through to him, and he had a look, and he liked what he saw, and he said yes, which I was absolutely thrilled about. And, you know, I have to say that the process of recording was with him was fantastic, because he absolutely got what I was trying to do. I mean, this was my worry that I'd written these scripts and I was thinking, well, you know, is, you know, does it work? Um, And uh, Stanley really just, he just got it, you know, from the, from the moment he, he started, he, he, he got exactly what I was trying to do. This sense of the kind of hard boiled, uh, you know, seen it all, met them all, type screenwriter um you know the the kind of classic screenwriter figure if one thinks of you know film noir and um you know he got it so i was you know i was absolutely you know thrilled with that still to come on the history extra podcast one of the things that california has been built on is migration from elsewhere in the united states but also migration from elsewhere in the world. And the fact is now more people are leaving California than are settling there. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down. And learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
Uh, another figure, um, and I guess theme that emerges through the series is of strong women. Um, how did you choose which female characters to include and what do you think their inclusion says about this kind of area more generally? I suppose one of the more unexpected characters in the series is Diane Feinstein, now Senator Diane Feinstein, um, who took over from Mayor George Moscone in San Francisco when um, Moscone and Harvey Milk, the first um, gay uh, councillor or city supervisor, um, as they uh, as they call as they call their their councillors in in uh, San Francisco, um, and um, uh, the thing is about that story. I thought, well, everybody or a lot of people know the Harvey Milk story um, because there was that you know great movie um, a few years back um, in which he was played by Sean Penn. So I thought that story had been told, but I thought the story that hadn't been told was the, was the story of the woman who took over from George from Mayor George Moscone, who was who was brutally murdered on the same day as as Harvey Milk. Um, and um and and so I thought that was a good and sort of unexpected uh story that people wouldn't know, you know, that in a sense, um uh, you know, Diane Feinstein had, you know, uh, very abruptly been sort of forced to step up as mayor of San Francisco after these two, you know, brutal killings, which of course had occurred just after the Jonestown massacre, uh, which took pl- place in, in, you know, Guyana in, um, and, uh, yeah, a thousand people died, um, in that. And of course, many of those people were from the Bay area. And so, um, I thought, you know, this is a, that was a tough job taking over, um, at that time. And so I thought that, you know, that was a really worthwhile story to, to tell. Um, and also, Diane Feinstein is a centrist, and, and it's interesting. It's, I think you don't often hear stories about centrist politicians. You know, often the stories we tell about the, the politicians are the kind of divisive figures uh, from the right or the left, um, the people who divide people rather than the people who bring people together. And in a sense, that was Diane Feinstein's role in this very, very difficult period in the history of San Francisco. Mm. Do you think that studying this history of California can help us make sense of America today? Well, I I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, in a way, California sort of stands... you know, stands apart from the rest of of the United States in in many ways, which is it's much more liberal in, in terms of its politics than than most of of the United States. But I think what it sort of can help us understand is, um, given the influence of silicon valley now um and that influence which is in a sense a you know global influence and i think it it can help us understand what has driven that what has made that possible um and you know in a sense our modern world has been shaped by silicon valley and you know the kind of dynamics that are at work in california over the past hundred years have you know have you know have given rise to silicon valley have made silicon valley what it is in a sense you know much of the world that we live in today is in a sense the product 
of California. Are there any other key characters or themes that you'd like to draw out that you think the series focuses on? Ice-T is an interesting one. Um, Ice-T, the the gangster rapper, in a a sense, the original gangster rapper. Um, And I don't think you need to know anything about gangster rap in in order to to get something out of that episode. Um, Because I suppose what Ice-T represents, in a sense, is the paradox of California. Um, You know, which is that, you know, here's a guy who made a record called Cop Killer, um which came out around the same time as the the, the horrific beating of, of Rodney King by the LAPD. And which was in nineteen ninety two, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, nineteen ninety two. And of course the LA riots or the LA rebellion as some people call it, which followed on from that. Um so I see made this record, Cop Killer, uh, which was hugely controversial, one of the most controversial records of all time. And um, but then, of course, what Ice-T goes on to do is to play a cop in a TV series, in a TV series called Law and Order. And in a sense, that, for me, represents the, the paradox of California, uh, you know, which is that you can bring out a record, you know, called Cop Killer, which, you know, you, uh, you can, you, you know, depending on your point of view, you can interpret... Um, you know, the meaning of that record in in multiple ways. So I I think it's really interesting, this kind of paradox that you can bring out a record called Cop Killer, and then you can, you know, go on TV, play a cop in a TV series called Law and Order. And and that, in a sense, represents many of the, the kind of paradoxes and contradictions of this place called California. Mm. And finally, that leads into my last question, which is, uh, are there any other ways that you'd like this series to change how people view California and its importance to the modern world? I don't think I want to change anybody's view about California, but I suppose what I'd like them, what I hope the series will do, is to make them think about the forces that are at work in the last hundred years of kind of Californian history the forces that have, you know, in a sense, conspired to create Hollywood, um, which in a way is, you know, is one of the ways in which we we sort of see the world um, in a way. Um, and also, um, which, of course, those forces have also given rise to Silicon Valley, which is, uh, I'm sure it's fair to say, more influential than Hollywood in shaping our modern world and will continue to, you know, shape our our modern world. Um, So I hope it will um, just make people think about the, 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 the dynamics that are at work. What do you think the future holds for California? Well... That is interesting, I think, and and uh, from having you know conducted many interviews with people in California and speaking to Governor, governor Jerry Brown, the longest-serving governor of California, um, many people's view was that the next hundred years are not going to be anywhere near as easy as the last one hundred years because it's. California cannot continue exploiting its landscape in 
the same way that it has over the last hundred years in the view of, you know, many of the people that, that I spoke to. One of the things that California has been built on is migration. Migration from elsewhere in the United States, but also migration from elsewhere in the world. And the fact is now more people are leaving California than are settling there. And so for, for a country that is, for a state that is built on migration, I think that poses an existential question. That was Lawrence Grissel. His series, The Californian Century, is available now on BBC Sounds. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. Join us next on Wednesday when David Abalafia will be discussing his award-winning book, The Boundless Sea.